Well, once again, welcome to Redeemer Church. I'm Pastor Tim Trometer, and it is wonderful to see you all here this morning. I'm honored to be here to serve among you. Today we are in part four of this series, The Power of Hope, and we're going to be talking about finding the strength to forgive, and we're looking at verse 7 of Jeremiah 29 again this week. We started that verse last week, just one verse, and we looked at two questions that we drew out of Jeremiah 29.7, who is my enemy, and where do we find that enemy? Like We talked about that. We said our enemy is very close to home. Often it's our own flesh and blood in our lives. Well, today we're going to go a little bit farther, and we're going to answer that age-old question, how do we love our enemies in this life? And so I'm going to give you seven suggestions today on how to love your enemies, and um, you'll see there's some opportunities to take notes on that as we go along this morning. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words that I'm about to share and the, the thoughts of all of our minds and the, the, the stirrings of our hearts, Lord, may you find them acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, it's in your son's name that we pray and everyone said, amen. So today we're going to continue this conversation on Jeremiah 29, 7, which says, Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. In the article, Enemies as Messengers of God's Grace, the author states, If I keep a spiritual perspective and believe Romans 28.8, which tells us, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, and are called according to his purpose for them, then enemies are not really enemies. They are some of the best friends I have. What is sometimes meant to, to hurt me actually helps bring about a work of grace in me that would not take place in any other way. End quote. I'm betting that sounds a little bit odd to most of us, and rightly so, the thought that our enemies can be our best friends and what is sometimes meant to hurt us actually brings about a work of grace in us, well, that's kind of entirely opposite to our way of thinking traditionally. I believe that the author is trying to tell us that when someone we think of as our enemy attacks us, God regularly uses that experience to expose like a blind spot in our life. When friends compliment our positive qualities or feed us praise, though, we, we often appreciate those expressions of love from them, right? Do I'm um, just show of hands. Does anybody not like to get a compliment? Okay, all right. All right. In reality, though, think about it. Would you honestly appreciate it more if someone told you the genuine truth about yourself? I mean, honestly, a lot of times, well, no, I'd really just like to tell me I do look good in the suit coat. If I don't, don't tell me. But in reality, if someone was truly your friend, would you want them to tell you the honest truth? Even if it's hard to hear. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You know, if our friends can't tell us the truth in love, 
we're not very likely to intentionally work towards becoming more like Christ in our life. You see, our, and our blind spots will continue to grow and further infect our souls. This, this author, Proverbs, goes on to say that there are lessons that must be learned in life that can only be discovered in the context of life lessons of adversity, pain, and difficulty. And you see, God regularly uses those we see as our enemies to expose the things that otherwise we would never see, much less understand or remove from our life. And with that in mind, what some may call an enemy might actually be our best friend in this life. Consider, could an enemy actually be a helper? A messenger from God for our good. Consider that. Could, could an enemy actually be a helper or a messenger? You see, if, if we're going to be like Christ in this world, it means that we have to take up our cross. That's, that's what Christ said. And the way that God often gets us there is by using those who we perceive as our enemies in this life. See, the author of this article, Enemies as Messengers of God's Grace, goes on to say that, and I'll quote, without people doing what they think will hurt or destroy us, we would never find the way to be more like Jesus. Enemies are a required part of becoming holy, and because of that, we must see them as our friends. Now, we've all heard that phrase, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And if you haven't, you got to check out all the best movies because it's in every good movie. Right? Any good drama, action movie, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But, you know, that is truly a worldly stance. The idea of an enemy as a friend is profoundly biblical, biblical especially if we believe in the sovereignty of God over all the circumstances of life. Now, remember, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, biblically speaking, we're talking about the understanding that God is in complete control and has absolute authority over all things. So sovereignty of God means God's in control of everything. It's not enough to merely say that we believe that God has a purpose in everything that happens to us. It's not about God having things happen on purpose. Yes, that, that's true, but ultimately, God always has a beneficial purpose, even though we don't usually see it, and often it's not clear in the moment. And with that, we turn to the question of how do we respond to those who hurt us deeply? Jesus said in Luke 6, but to those who will listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. And as we talked about last week, that's a whole lot easier said than done, right? whole lot easier said than done. In Jeremiah 29, the Jews had been forcibly deported to Jerusalem, or from Jerusalem to Babylon. Many of their leaders had been killed, and many had been marched away in chains. And the Babylonians were ruthless in their treatment of their enemies. The Jews were exiled for 70 years, which meant that most of them would never, they would never return home. They'd never see their homeland. So what does it mean to love the people who try to ruin everything? What does it mean to us to love the people who try to ruin everything we hold near and dear in our lives? What does it mean to love that person? who tries to ruin your life? What does it mean to pray for the person that you despise most? 
How do we seek what's good for people who wish we were dead? How do we survive in a place where everything we believe in is mocked? And why would we seek someone's prosperity after what they did to us? What they did to our loved ones? You see, it all goes back to that question that I asked four weeks ago on that first day of the series and that first message. What do we do when the circumstances of our lives, and it, when we don't like the circumstances of our lives, and it seems as if those circumstances aren't going to change anytime soon? What do you do? And so here's how things have unfolded in Jeremiah 29. In verse 4, we found out you are where you are because God put you there. In verses 4 through 6, we found out that God said to settle down and make the best of your situation. And in verse 7 last week, we found that God said, seek the good of the city and pray for those who have taken you into exile. And last week, we also asked two key questions that we pulled from this verse. We asked, where do our enemies come from and who are our enemies? And we ended last week with these words. It's easier to talk about this abstractly. It's much harder to love our enemies daily. And yet, the command remains to love our enemies and to to do good for those who hate you. And we can't escape it. It's a crucial part of our spiritual journey from bitterness to forgiveness and then on to freedom. And we can't be set free until we set our enemies free to be blessed by the Lord. And so now we come to the third and final question that we pull from this verse. And that is, as I said earlier, how do we love our enemies? And if you're taking notes this morning on the message notes, this is our first point. How are we to love our enemies? How are we to love our enemies? And so today I'm going to give you seven suggestions, because these are just suggestions. You can use them how you want to use them, or you can throw them away. It doesn't matter. It's up to you. But I believe... We move, they move us in the right direction toward loving our enemies. And these seven suggestions answer the question of how. That question of how do we grow in loving our enemies. And the first is, we are to greet them. Greet them. We are to greet them. We greet our enemies. We often overlook this very basic, very simple step of greeting our enemies. One part of loving our enemies is to greet them. To greet them graciously when we see them. Many times, instead of turning toward our enemy and turning the other cheek, instead we, 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 we turn away. We, we, we have this cold shoulder approach to dealing with people um, that we don't want to be around. That way we don't have to say hello. We don't have to deal with someone who's hurt us. It's a whole lot easier, I'll tell you from experience, it is a whole lot easier to ignore a person and avoid the problem. This one time, I ducked my mother-in-law in the grocery store. No joke, I did. I turned a corner at Meyer, and she was looking at them. No joke. Some of us have been very good, very, very good at this. Looking the other way, we could be even called professional grocery store aisle skippers, street crossers, phone tag experts with the people who have hurt us or that we don't want to connect with. But 
As Jesus said, if we only greet our friends. Now, I love my mother-in-law. Don't take that the wrong way. But if we only greet our friends, what benefit is it? Jesus said, even the non-believers do that. One part of loving our enemies is greeting them instead of avoiding them. The second suggestion is we are to disarm them. Second, we are to disarm them. That's what we do when we turn the other cheek or we go the second mile with a person. We disarm them by doing the very thing that they least expect. You see, an enemy expects conflict. Right? They expect conflict. How do we know? Because we expect conflict. We expect conflict from our enemies, which is why we often tend to avoid our enemies. So, therefore, we disarm them by speaking well of them when no one else, when no one expects it. Um, General Robert E. Lee was once asked his opinion of a fellow officer who was widely known as one of Lee's greatest critics. And get this, it's recorded that General Lee responded by saying that he thought the man, his greatest critic, was a very fine officer. Now, very much confused, the man interviewing Robert Lee um, said, General, I guess you don't know what he's been saying about you. To which General Lee replied, Oh, yes, I do. I know what he's been saying, but I was asked my opinion, opinion of him, not his opinion of me. Disarm them. We don't have a choice or say in what people say to or about us, but we do have a choice in how we respond. We're to disarm our enemies. Number three, suggestion number three is we are to do good to them. We are to do good to them. Do good to our enemies requires that we look beyond the pain that we bear in the moment, beyond the injury that was inflicted upon us to the, hum to the humanity of our enemy. And this is very hard. This is very hard because a lot of times we see our enemies as like horns and pitchforks and little red tails and, and you know, they're, they're evil. But it means shifting our perspective and seeing our enemies as people made in the image of God and understanding that there is something twisted inside that causes them to do what they do. Doing good means that we must do the things that will encourage their healing despite the ways that they have treated us. And here's the deal. When we make the first move and we make the phone call, we send the email, we reach out and make contact, we bridge the gap. Doing good means steps towards the well-being of an enemy regardless of how they've treated you. We do this because the same God who loves us and sent his son to die for us sent his son to die for them and loves them just as much as he loves us. We're to do good to them. Number four, fourth, we're to refuse to speak evil of them. We are to refuse to speak evil of them. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, bless those who curse you in Luke 6. We are meant to intentionally choose to not think evil thoughts, to refuse to speak evil words against those who have wronged us. Listen to what Proverbs 18.21 says about the power of words. It says, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. I want to say that again. The tongue can bring death or life. 
Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Every time we open our mouths, one of two things comes out. Life or death. Truly, forgiveness in many cases is not possible because we will not stop talking. Think about it. If we can't stop talking about how others have hurt us, we will never find the strength to forgive. At some point, something has to give. And we have to stop talking and start forgiving. We can't criticize. or We can, we can criticize the Babylonians in our life. We can criticize our enemies. Or we can choose to pray for them. But it's impossible to do both things at the same time. You can't criticize someone and forgive them at the same time. What God said to his people, captive in Babylon, applies directly to us. We will never, ever seek the good for our enemies until we stop speaking evil about them. So we must refuse to speak evil about our enemies. That was number four. Number five. We are to thank God for them. We're to thank God for them. If we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things and has authority over all things, then we also must believe that our enemies in this life are sent to us by God by design or by God's approval. Our enemies cannot torment or abuse us without God's permission. God has either approved of or allowed it to happen. That means that behind every enemy in our life stands the hand of God. And God would never permit it if he did not intend to bring something good out of it. And maybe, maybe we should take a picture. Here's an idea. Call me crazy. People have done it before. Maybe we should take a picture of our greatest enemy and make it the background wallpaper on our cell phone. Or on your computer wallpaper. That way, every time we could see it more often and be reminded to thank God for him or her or them every time we see their face. Because behind every enemy stands the hand of God. And we need to be reminded of that. And thank God for what they could bring in our life. I don't know, give it a try. I dare you. Just don't ask me to do it. Six. We are to pray for them. We are to pray for them. When Martin Niemöller, a German pastor, was arrested by the Nazis in World War II, he prayed daily in his prison cell for his captors. And the other prisoners asked why he prayed for those who were his enemies. And here's what he said. Do you know anyone who needs your prayers more than your enemies? But instead, we ask, what if I hate the person I'm praying for? Tell it to God. It's not going to surprise Him, is it? You think you're going to surprise God? God knows our hearts better than we do. Just be honest and say it. Pray something like this. Say, say, God, I don't like this person. He knows that already. It's no surprise. I don't like this person, but you already know that. I ask you to love this person through me because I can't do it on my own. I ask you for a love I don't have right now and I can't even begin to produce. You see, if, 
if we do that, God's not going to turn His back on us. When we come with an honest heart and admit that we need His love to flow through us, God's Holy Spirit will work in and through us and give us the ability to love that we don't have. We love. Remember, as John says, we love because He loved us first. So we pray for our enemies. Seven, and the final suggestion, seven, ask God to bless them. Ask God to bless them. And here's a simple way to do it. It's golden. It's a golden thing to think about. When you face someone who has mistreated you, ask God to do for them what you want God to do for you. It's a golden idea. I think it's original to me. Seek the blessing for them that you want most for yourself. Ask God to bless them and start with that thing. It's as simple as that. The greater the hurt, the greater the potential blessing that will come when we forgive from the heart and by God's grace bless those who have cursed us. Suppose you're in your own place of exile, your own Babylon right now. Maybe you feel forgotten, overlooked, downtrodden, misused, taken for granted of. Perhaps you don't like where you are in life or the people around you. If so, join the club. <laughs> Most of us feel that way at some point in our lives, if not all of us right now. If that's the case, how is God going to reach the people we consider our enemies? History has shown us that his method has not changed at all. God reaches the lost. God reaches the lost by sending his people to them. And if we don't want to go, do you know what he does? He sends them anyway. Remember that guy named Jonah? I don't know if you ever read that story of Jonah. That's what he did to Jonah. This whole Babylonian story, that's kind of what he's doing to them as well with the Jewish exiles. By putting them in the hands of the people they hated, the Lord was saying, you're my missionaries in Babylon. Yes, I put you there as a punishment because you screwed it up royally, but I also intended it to be a blessing to your captors. And that's really quite a remarkable and encouraging thought if you really think about it because it means that even when we royally screw it up, even when we royally mess up in our lives and we've suffered badly because of the consequences, because every action, every mistake we make comes with a consequence. There's no free pass in life. There are consequences to our actions. But regardless of those mistakes and those consequences, God continues to use us. He continues to use us. And even God's discipline in our life becomes an opportunity not only for our own spiritual growth, but also for ministry to others. And that's truly liberating if you think about, think about it from a larger perspective. But we'll never enter into that missionary experience until we begin to bless our enemies. So, so let me illustrate that, this point with, with a true-to-life story, a true-life story which is the new millennial term for real-life story, if you didn't know that. A true-life story. I don't understand people in words these days, I tell you. A true-life story. So there's this woman I was reading about. She wrote about 
her need for healing with her husband, ex-husband. The guy left her for a younger woman. He had an affair. It was, it was a year-long affair with this, after 26 years of marriage, he leaves her for this 20-year-old girl, and to make matters worse, this, this lady's closest friends not only knew about the affair, they were helping cover it up. I don't get it. It's okay, I don't have to get it. But she wrote down her story and she said that she realized that she never really truly ever forgave her friends for what they had done. And so when she wrote it down, she said this, and I'm going to quote what she wrote. Today I wrote to four people that the Lord brought to my mind that I needed to pray for, ask for a blessing for them. I felt the drive to write to them and tell them that I had asked God for them to receive a blessing. At first, it was the hardest thing I had done in a long time, but then I started writing the note telling them that I had asked God to give them a special blessing and that I forgave them. I felt a sense of relief. Three of the four people claimed to be Christians, but they all contributed to my ex's infidelity and adultery. Yet, after writing the emails, I felt my burden lifted, and I was at peace. This is a perfect example, because she didn't mention in the email anything about their sin. She simply wrote to say that she was praying for them, and that she prayed that, God, that they would receive a blessing from God. How did they respond to this note? I don't know. Honestly, it doesn't matter. She did what she needed to do, what God had called her to do, and it set her free. It's not about the people she wrote the note to. It was about her doing what God had called her to do. I stated earlier that an enemy could be a gift from God to us, though we may not know it and we can't always see it. The person who has deeply hurt us is, is sometimes a gift from God to us. To say that doesn't excuse the evil and it doesn't condone the mistreatment of the person. It is to say exactly what Joseph meant when he, when he said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Our enemies humble us. They keep us on our knees. They reveal our weaknesses. They expose our total need for God. Just as, think about it, over and over in the Bible, just as David needed King Saul to pursue him, to, peer, to, persecute, it and, to persecute him, and repeatedly attempt to kill him. We need our enemies. The enemies God sends into our life too. If we didn't need them, God wouldn't send them. And thus we give thanks to God who knows us best and love our enemies the best way we can. Often God raises up an enemy to see if we can truly, truly be like Christ. Jesus had enemies. Remember? They ended up killing him. But he loved them anyway. Our goal in life is to be like Christ. 
1957, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon on loving your enemies at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. As he came to the end of his message, he talked about a tree on a hill, and on that tree hung the most influential person who ever came into this world. In the cross of Christ, the love of God broke through into human history, and he closed with these words. Now we know what love looks like in a world filled with hatred, distrust, bitterness, pain, mistreatment, and abuse. As the hymn writer said, see from his hands, or his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingling down. It is a message from God that love is the only way. It is the only way to heaven. It is the only way to live on this earth. If we believe in Jesus at all, we must say to our enemies, I love you and I don't hate you. When Jesus walks with us, we will find strength to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, and to pray for those who use us. Because life is not about getting even with our enemies. Life is about responding to the world around us in God-honoring ways. And that means asking God to bless our enemies. If we can let go of our anger long enough to pray for people, we're going to discover an incredible, absolutely incredible reality. And that is when we pray for God's grace to fall on others, we put ourselves in a position to also receive God's grace. So there's a new reason to pray for our enemies. Because just as God said through Jeremiah to the Babylonians, our own blessing depends on their blessing. But we really already knew that. Because that's what it says in Jeremiah 29.7. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Let's pray. God of all grace and love, give us the strength we need to go, to let go of our anger and to lift our enemies to you. Help us to realize and recognize that our enemies are in reality a blessing as they challenge us to become all that you have created us to be. We find comfort and strength in you, Lord, as we lift our enemies to you at this moment, praying for their lives and the love that you give us to love them. Bless them, Lord. Provide for them and move in their lives so that they would come to experience the greatness that is found only in you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus the Christ, your Son and our Savior, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.